Yes, yes, yes. How many of you will agree that you have seen the goodness of God in the land that you're living in? Amen? Why don't you give him your best hand clap of praise this morning if you believe that? I told somebody in the common area early this morning, I said, you know, the thing is, we're not waiting uh, to experience the goodness of God, not the, not the children of God. We've already experienced the goodness of God. Amen? I'm not waiting till I get to heaven to know that God's good. I've already experienced that God is good. And so that's why I came today to praise him. <clears throat> I was thinking about the fact that I went to sleep last night saved. And I woke up this morning saved. And I get to preach a gospel today that has the power to save. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm full of hope and joy this morning. So I hope that you, I don't know, can turn me down maybe uh, there in your chair. So if you have your Bible, if you will, turn, me, turn with me to the gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter number one. And I know some of you are saying, wait a minute, Luke chapter one. Uh, yeah, Luke chapter one. And uh, we're turning to uh, the beginning instead of the ending of his life here on earth. And somebody said, well, have you got your seasons mixed up? Uh, and I say, no, but if you'll do the math, and, and I want to get into the technicalities of whether or not December 25th is truly the day he was born. I'm not going to get into uh, arguments about that. I wish I could tell you the detailed accounts I've heard that prove that he was and detailed accounts that prove that he wasn't. And I don't care about either one of those. What I know is he was born. Hallelujah. And we chose the day to worship him and celebrate that, and that's what we do. But if you go back nine months from that, you know something has to happen nine months before a child is born in order for the child to be born. If you know that, say Amen. And so we are going to look at today what happened nine months before his birth, which led 33, some odd 33 years later to his death and resurrection, the announcement of his birth. Somebody said, wait a minute, are you doing a Christmas message and Easter? Oh, no, I'm just giving a message that ties right into the coming, the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus begins in this wonderful announcement to Mary. All right, y'all with me? Somebody like, I can't believe I came to Hickory's and he did a Christmas message at Easter. You don't know me very well then because I'm not a theme guy day, right? I do whatever the Lord puts on my heart. So Luke chapter 1, verse number, we're going to start in verse number 46. 46. It seems a little dark out there. Yeah. Wait, let's bring the lights up out there. Y'all looking a little dark. I can't see your faces. I need to be able to see y'all a little bit. We're going to raise them house lights up just a little bit. Is that okay with y'all? Hallelujah. All right. While they do that, Luke chapter 1, uh, we're going to look at verses 40. Actually, I'm going to start in 45. I don't want to lie to you. 45 on down through verse number 56, okay? 45 to 56. Any of you glad to be here this morning? Yes. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful to be here, okay? So, well, I'm going to, we're still, got to, we're working on the lights? We got to get them lights up because y'all got to read your Bible. Uh-oh. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hey, look at there. Is that better? Y'all see better? Okay, good. Now, if you will, stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word. I'm so thankful we're not professionals. Think about that statement. Think, think about that statement for a minute. We're not professionals. We don't, listen, don't think I came up here today to pretend that I'm polished and we got everything. We're just perfect. We're not. We are born again and we're following Jesus, man, and that's, that's enough. Uh, and so this morning, Luke chapter number one, now what's happened? The angel has come to visit Zacharias and let him know that they are, him and Elizabeth are going to have a son and that is going to be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is going to be the forerunner who is the messenger of God to turn the people's hearts back from where we looked at Malachi last week. Oh, you see a picture unfolding, don't you? Last week, Malachi, last word from God prophetically before 400 years of silence, okay? What broke the silence? It wasn't the crucifixion. It was the birth. And what made, what made special the birth was the crucifixion. Well, let me rephrase. What made the birth and the crucifixion relevant and, and, and gave it vitality is the resurrection. And so now we're going to dive into the angel has told uh, Zacharias they're going to have John the Baptist. And then he goes and pays a visit to a young teenage girl named Mary. And as he talks with Mary, he explains to her that she is going to have God's son. And she's like, okay, well, how is this going to happen? Because I've not been with a man. You tell me how. We'll go with it. And the angel explains the Holy Spirit is going, to, is going to come upon her. She's going to conceive the Christ child. And her response to that is, I'm the Lord's maidservant. Let it be what he desires for it to be. Isn't that, whoa, you're talking about a place of surrender. When a person gets to that place, I belong to you. Whatever you want to do, here I am. God will do great things in your life. And he did in Mary's life. He brought Jesus to us, okay? Now, you, you figure out where we are? Do you make a connection from last week? If you missed last week's message, go find it online. 
right, or it's on my podcast. You can find it there. Go and find it and, and connect the dots, okay? So picking up today in Luke 1, verse 45, here we go. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of the things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things, y'all help me, for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He's put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever, and Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her house. Will you pause with me for just a moment and let's go to God in prayer. Will you bow with me, all right? His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to say with your head bowed and your eyes closed, nobody looking around, I'm going to say thank you for being here today. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You've given your time and your attention to me, but more than that, you've given it to God. And it's the most important thing you can do is give your attention. It's valuable. And you've given it, and I pray right now that God will help us because the assignment's too big for me, but it's also too big for you. I have one, actually have two. You have one. Mine is to deliver and preach the word, but also to receive it. Yours is to receive it. Neither one of us can do that unless God helps us. So let's ask him. Father, simply put, we ask you now to help me by the power of your spirit and the gift you've given me. Father, help me preach this word, proclaim it like a, a herald for the king. And God, help me to do it in such a way it's clear and understandable and that it's as if you were speaking through me to the heart of every person in this room. And Father, as you preach through me, I need it as much as anybody. So please preach to me. And Father, I pray that as your word searches my heart and our hearts, that we would be convicted but also encouraged. And I pray that we would leave this place celebrating who you are and look more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. Hey, you didn't have to stand and wait as long to get in this morning. So some of y'all came in with a little extra smile. You said, that joker ain't going to preach as long this morning. Because we got in, we had to wait out in the hallway. I want to say again, thank you for having patience when things like that happen. And also, there are people sitting in overflow and different things, and I thank y'all for that, and having patience with our cedars. And, and there's a lot that goes on as God is moving. You know, when God moves and he draws people. And when you draw people, you need a place to put them. And sometimes you run out of place to put them, which is why tonight, after worship, we're going to have a family meeting where we unpack and share with you what God has put on our heart through much prayer and, 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 and searching, what we believe is our expansion plans moving forward. So don't miss the family meeting tonight, okay? No, it won't be online. It'll be in this room. And so I hope that you can be here, okay? Y'all looking at me like you're mad. Just come on and join us, and you'll be able to hear, all right? Now, let's go back and rewind back to the beginning of this passage together. Look at verse number 46 with me. Here's the main idea. The title of the message is A Joyful Mission. And this year, the theme that God has placed on my heart for us is to live the mission, right? Uh, we've been called by God to not just be saved, but to live the mission of going out and carrying the good news to the world and making disciples, okay? And so today, we're going to really narrow that down, and, it, and we're going to prove that it is a joyful mission, all right? Now, we're going to have a series of honest questions together. Y'all ready? All right. If you're our guest, here's what you'll learn about us. We proclaim to be, and generally are, ugly honest. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to get in your face and tell you that your clothes don't match. Now, listen, I need to say that because some of y'all have missed the point. That's just mean. Nobody asked you if our clothes matched. So we're not talking about that kind of ugly honest. Everybody, we clear on that one? All right, what we're talking about, some of y'all are looking, I can't believe this guy. Um, and so what I am talking about ugly honest is that we are honest about where we are. We take our masks off, and we don't play games and pretend that we're perfect because there's nobody in this room that's perfect, not even close. And so we take the mask off, and we come into this place with this central idea that we're all broken, and even those of us who've been born again, we're forgiven, yes, but we're still on a journey becoming more like Jesus, and that's why he said it's the hospital for the sick. And so we've come today to help Je ask Jesus to help us grow a little bit more like him. And by the way, salvation is a beginning point, and we're going to continue that journey until he calls us home, becoming more like him every day. All right, so with that being said, here's the questions. 
How many of you can say that you really, really enjoy, I mean, really, you, you wake up and think about it, you even put some effort into trying to figure out how you can spend some time with the negative Nancys of the world. You, you know the people I'm talking about? Now, they don't have to be Nancys. They can be John Brown, you know, whatever you want to call them. And they, he or she, is the kind of person that is always complaining. Do you know anybody like that? They're always complaining. They're never satisfied. Everything is bad. And all they ever do is talk about what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with politics, what's wrong with the air conditioner, what's wrong with the chair, what's wrong with the fussing because we didn't have the purple shag carpet I promised you we were going to have in here. Some of y'all had to think way back on that one, didn't you? And, and they're just always negative. You know what I'm talking about? Um, now, uh, so, so you agree we probably don't like to be around those people if we're honest, but let me just take it a step further. How many of you, when you see that person, uh, all right, we're going to see if you're going to be honest with me. You see them in Walmart, and they're coming out the end of aisle number seven, and you're coming out, you just started the row on, on row number one, but you've made out who it is. You know what I'm talking about? And the thought hits you, oh, no. If I get hemmed up with them, they're going to talk about the pilot, what's wrong with the president, what's wrong with, and, and oh, and I don't have time. And all right, here we go. How many of you have dodged those people before? Raise your hand. All right, now wait a minute. That's about 50%. Let me ask again. Let me come out there and ask your spouse or your kids. Huh? Hey, has mom ever said, come on, kids, hurry, hurry, go this way, go this way. Huh? Uh, yeah, now, now, here's the question again, okay? How many of you say at least, at least one time in your life you've dodged somebody because of their negativity? Raise your hand. Okay, now we're participating, okay? See, we don't have to play games and pretend like we've never done that. It's just, it's just reality. Maybe we shouldn't have done that, but we've done it. And the reason is is because when you get around that, it's interesting how it's like taking a wet blanket and putting it on somebody that maybe is on fire. Now, I don't mean taking them on somebody on fire that needs to be put out. I'm talking about spiritually on fire. Or in a, a fiery uh, attitude of joy and, and, and happiness. And boy, that person come around and got to complaining and fussing. All of a sudden, you, you wonder why you even want to live, you know. And it's interesting, isn't it? And next thing you know, you'll be joining in with them and saying, yeah, you know, I ain't thought about it, but my shoes are too tight, you know. And you start fussing about things and, and your mind gravitates towards everything that's wrong in the world, with your life, with everything. And man, who in heaven's name wants to be around that? Now, on the other hand, oh, oh, so, so I guess it was about 90% raised their hand. The other of you lied. You dodge people. You don't want to be around people like that. But here's the next question in a series of logical questions. Next question is, have you ever been that person? You've had a season, an hour, a day, uh, a month, a year. Maybe it was during cancer treatment. Maybe it was during going through a divorce. Maybe I don't know what was going on. But some set of circumstances caused you to be the person that all you could do was talk about what was wrong. Okay, if that's, if that's been your story, somewhere along the line, raise your hand for me. All right, raise it up. Okay, look at that. Wow. Mm. At the same time, do you know anybody that, that, that every time you're around them, the majority of the time you're around them, there may be a rare occasion they're off, but, but, but the majority of the time you're around they've got a smile on their face and they have something positive to say. And maybe they're singing a song or I don't know, but they, dis they exhibit the fact that they have a little joy in their life. How many of you know at least one person like that? Raise your hand. Now, have you ever found yourself trying to hang out with them? Yeah. Have you ever found yourself in a low spot to say, I need to, get, I need to call that person. I need to go see that person. I hear you guys tell me sometimes I had to go find them and have lunch with them because I was down. Why? Because you know that person is filled with joy and encouragement. One is unattractive. One is extremely attractive. One turns you away. The other one turns you on. One makes you want to run another direction. One makes you want to run to it. Now, I want you to think about if the mission is for us to take the good news of the gospel outside the walls, doesn't it then make sense if we are people filled with joy, we have a lot better opportunity of people listening to what we have to say versus if all we ever do is complain and fuss and be negative. Now, I, it's interesting. I know that uh, because of life, and I know how life goes, I know some of you have been negative already this morning. Now, look straight ahead. Don't look at each other. The coffee wasn't right. The donuts weren't right. Huh? Your clothes didn't fit right. They're too tight. They're too loose. You know, church is too early. It's too late. I mean, there's something that just really, people getting in your way. You couldn't get to the parking lot. Somebody got your parking space. You had to sit in a different spot in the worship center. You had to wait to come in. I'm telling you, we, we have a tendency to, to, to major on the minors. 
And so this morning, we're going to look at, in detail, Mary's song of praise and determine why this really is a joyful mission, all right? It's a joy-filled mission. So, main idea is this. God's children, all right, that's those of us who have been born again, God's children should joyfully make him known. Now, every part of that's important. God's children should joyfully make him known. Now, it's not the responsibility of lost people to make Jesus known. How are you going to do that? You don't know him. How are you going to make him known? It is the responsibility and calling of God's children to make him known, okay? But to do it how? Joyfully. We can't even get a smile in the house this morning. Joyfully. I'm, I'm preaching on joy. By the way, the testimony of, we had a baptism in the early worship too, and Brianna's testimony was, the first part of her testimony, I'll, I'll try to put that on the Facebook page, the live, uh, her testimony, her baptism video, she said, um, one of the greatest changes I saw, she said, I knew, I came to a place where I knew I needed Jesus, and I confessed him as Lord, and she said, the first thing I noticed about my life, the transformation is that I had joy. And I was like, girl, you just set up the sermon. You didn't even know what I was preaching. I was on the way here this morning going, okay, God, I don't have an illustration. I need an illustration. And bam, she laid it out there. Um, so you go back and listen to that. So joy. And I want to say to you that when I say God's children, I need you to understand something that culture has been lying to you about. And that is that not everybody is God's child. Are you with me? I heard a man say just this week, we all God's children. I said, no, sir. No, sir. He said, well, he loves all of us. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, then we all God's children. I said, no, sir. We're not all God's children. The Scripture, the Word of God, by the way, it is settled in the heavens, meaning that man can search it and research it and backwards and forwards and for thousands of years try to stamp it out, and yet here it is. It's settled. It can't be changed. God's not got a, a committee trying to decide if it's going to remain or not. It, it's settled. It's already settled. So the problem is you and I think as we get a little enlightened, we know better. Uh, but as this unfolds, the Scripture says there's two children under the sun. One is the child of God, okay? Now, the child of God is, is experienced something that everybody else has not. It's called a second birth. Everybody in this room has experienced a first birth. You know how I know that? Because I'm looking at you. Not everybody in here has experienced a second birth. Second birth is born of the Spirit. Those people, he, Scripture says it this way. John said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called sons and daughters of God, children of God. So only that group, only that group. So you might say, well, the other group doesn't mean that God loves them. Yeah, he does, but, but whose children are they? That's a good question. And so when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees said to him that he didn't come from God and, and that, that, that Abraham was their father and that God was his father, you know, was the leader of Abraham, and Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am. And he said, if you'd have known me, you'd have known my father, but you're of your father, Oh, somebody knows the scripture. What was it? The devil. You're of your father, self-righteous, unborn once. He said, you're of your father, the devil. Now, can you imagine somebody here right now for the first time, our guest, and they said, I came to Hickory Ridge, man, because I've been hearing a lot about what God's doing, and, and I thought the preacher's going to preach a positive, feel good, you know, name it, claim it, you know, think, think positive, everything's going to be yours. And, 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 every, and, I, and, and I went in there, and that guy said that there's two groups of people on the planet, uh, God's children and the devil's children. And he backed it up with Scripture, and so I don't know if I'm going back next week. <laughs> and so there are two groups of people. Now, now, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 helps us understand the other group. Here's what it says. John, uh, talking about himself, said this. Now, we know that we are of God, talking to the children of God, those who have experienced the second birth. He said, but the whole world, talking about those who have not, are under the sway of the wicked one. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, which means it's a picture. It's a word picture. In the Greek, it's a word that means somebody laying face down, they can't get up, and somebody's foot, somebody in authority has got a foot on them, they can't get up. That's an ugly picture, isn't it? Somebody told me not too long ago, but I know, now listen, I know my, my, my grandmother, she wasn't born again. She didn't believe in Jesus, but she was a, she was a God, I mean, she, she, she just loved people, and I know that she's in heaven. Listen to me. Two groups of people. Children of God. You don't even want to say it, do you? Children of the devil. What's the difference? Jesus. That's all. Jesus. Whether or not the person has been born a second time that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and that person is receiving him. Okay, now, we said, that was just dealing with the main idea. You said, how are we going to get out of here early? You spent that long talking about the main idea. You, you'll see in a minute, okay? So, uh, the main idea, God's children should joyfully make him known. I wonder if how last week happened. 
if your wife, sir, knows Jesus better because you've made him clear to her. And I wonder, young person, I look at a big group of youth right here. Boy, they look good this morning, awake and alert. And I wonder if your classmates have a clearer picture of who Jesus is because they watched you this week. I wonder if your teachers do. I wonder if your customers, your clients, your neighbors are able to say today that they know Jesus better because of how they watched you this week. Now, let's dive into this message, okay? You prime, the pump has been primed. Let's dive in. Number one, in verse number 46, here's what Mary says. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul, here's the word, are you ready? My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, I've got young people in the room. They're all over the place. And by the way, thank you, mom, dad, grandmom, granddad, cousin, aunt, uncle, neighbors for bringing the kids in here. I'm telling you, it fires me up. Kids need, they did more than just being in Sunday school. They need to be under the preached word of God. There's a difference. God ordained the preaching of the word, the foolishness of preaching, all right, to bring about salvation. So I'm encouraging you to have your children. I know they can be all they cut up and act up. It don't bother me. I'm just going to rock on through it, okay? And if they do that, you give them something. You just, hey, listen, it's all right. We're going to do it together, okay? And so young people, you're doing two things for me, right? Where are the McCoy? I see the McCoy boys over there. Yeah. Uh, y'all got... Nolan Gray over there? Where you at? Yeah. So I need y'all. I need, I'm looking around all the little ones. I, there's two things I need you to do, remember? Number one is make sure they're what? Yes, awake. Make sure mom and dad are awake, whoever brought you, because we get sleepy. Number two, draw me a picture based on what you hear. So maybe today you're thinking about a magnifying glass, something that magnifies, maybe binoculars, something that you use to take something that's far off because when it's far off, it looks fuzzy. It doesn't matter how good your vision is. If it gets far enough away, you just can't see it. So something that magnifies takes something that's far away in location and brings it closer that you can study what it really looks like. Y'all with me? So we would think today about maybe in the aspect of uh, deer hunting maybe. Uh, you see a deer way over there, and they always look bigger than what they are. Um, but I would encourage you always to make sure you put some kind of magnification on it to make sure you're not killing Bambi, Right? And so we, it's way out there, and we bring it closer in so we can look at it, observe it. Now, think about how far away God is. Now, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Scripture says he's not very far away from any of us, and that's 100% true. But think about how far God is away from us in the area of holiness. Anybody tracking with me? How many of you believe by show of hands that he is, we are way off from him in the area of holiness? He is holy, 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 and we are not, not, not. And so he's way off. And, and because of that, we hardly ever get a clear picture of who he is. But what did God do about that? He gave us his word. And so we began to look into his word, and we began to understand that the Old Testament, he's explaining who he is through forming a people. We get to the New Testament, we find out who he is because he came to redeem the people, and he put Jesus, his son, as the express image of his person so that we could look at Jesus and find out what God's really like. For instance, we find out that when Jesus was dealing with the woman caught in adultery, that God would rather forgive than to punish. Hallelujah. I wish you'd smile with me this morning. And we find out when he touches the leper, he's willing to get involved with the mess. He didn't send an assistant. He didn't pray over across the room, you know. He put his hands on the leper, you know. You know, you follow with me? We learned that when he speaks to the wind and waves, uh, and they obey him. You, you, you follow with me? So we learn so much about God by looking at Jesus. And then he says, I'm the light of the world. So he was the light that illuminated who he is and, of course, our condition. But then he said, before he ascended, he said to his disciples, now you are the light of the world. And so what that means is now we are the representation of Jesus to the world. Mary said, now my soul magnifies the Lord. I want to, my life's going to show who he is. How? By birthing the Son of God. Now, hers was very, very literal, wasn't it? <laughs> She's going to show us what God's like in a little baby that grew to be a man that was 100% God to 100% man. Now, that's not our assignment, right? We're not going to give birth to the Son of God, but we can in the hearts and minds and imaginations of people if they watch how we walk with him. Let me say to you this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Write it down quickly, all right? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. Listen to what it says. Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, he says, Now then, we, talking about those who have been born again, we are ambassadors. Now, if you know anything about an ambassador, they represent a country that is far away. Oh, we see the magnification, don't we? And the ambassador is responsible for the people who are far away from that other country that don't know anything about that country and have ideas about that country but can't see that country because they're not in that country. Anybody picking up what I'm putting down? 
The ambassador then is responsible to make it clear through words and actions what their country is like. Oh, I want you to see today that as ambassadors of Jesus, that is part of our responsibility. That now that he's living in us, we live in such a way that we help those who don't know him understand what he's like. Let, let me read the rest of the passage. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Listen to what that we're imploring. Be reconciled to God. So, as magnifiers of Jesus, we understand he's on a mission to save and to seek that which was lost. Listen, you didn't go looking for him. He came looking for you. And he did it through a somebody. Somebody shared the gospel with you. Somebody invited you to worship with them. Somebody shared their testimony. A human being with a vocal cords in their throat and lungs in their, in their body drew air in and used the, all they learned and experienced in him to express to you the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done in their life. He uses people to do it. Now, my question for you is this. Be a magnifier. Can you say that you are allowing him to plead with the world to be reconciled to him? Now, what I mean by that, listen, he's, so he's in me now, and what happens is I find myself seeing people and asking myself a question. Now, I wonder if this person is saved or not saved. I wonder if they're a child of God under the power and authority of Jesus or a child of darkness, lostness that's under the power and authority of Satan. I, I look at every person that way. And when I approach a person, I like to have the opportunity because there's this thing that Jesus put in me. I now want them to know who I know. I want them to experience what I have experienced. I want them to know that there is a way to live that like you get up and you really have joy and you really enjoy being around people. You, you magnify him. Let, let me give you a for instance. This week I was in Starbucks preaching Sturgis on Thursday night, I believe it was. So I had a meeting with a friend of mine, Matt, Matt White, up in, in Starbucks beforehand at Starbucks, but I got there a little early. And so I go in and the lady at the counter, I'm whistling and singing and she says, what's the matter with you? And I've heard that question. I knew where we were headed, and I got excited. I said, well, nothing's wrong with me. I don't think I started looking at my clothes, you know. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you're whistling, you're singing, you act like you're happy. I said, it's not an act. I'm happy. She said, you must not watch the news. To which I said, you're right, I don't. I hadn't in probably three or four years. She looked at me like I had three heads. She said, you don't watch the news? I said, I haven't watched the news. I don't remember the last time I watched the news. I really don't. It's been years. And I said, would you believe my blood pressure's good? And I'm in the best shape I've been in in like 25 years of my life, and I'm, I have joy. And I said, would you believe I'm able to relate to people in conversation? And I'm current. Can you believe that? And she's just looking at me, you know. And, and, I, and I said, because let me just tell you something. I guarantee you what was on the news this last week is that people were killed and people were raped and murdered and people were. And she said, how'd you know you hadn't watched that? I said, it was the same thing six years ago and 12 years before that. And because we're broken people living in a broken world. And I said, but she said, but now, but, but, but what else? I said, well, let me just tell you the reason I'm so, she said, well, then, okay, tell me, why are you singing and why are you so happy? I said, because I'll never get what I deserve. She said, what in the world are you talking about? I said, well, here's the thing. Jesus went to the cross and endured the punishment, the shame, and the penalty of what I've done wrong. So now I've been freed from that, and I get what I received instead is grace and mercy. And she just sort of looked at me like, you really mean that, don't you? And I said, so what's happened is I've come to know a Savior who made me and who loved me in spite of me and who died in my place. And she said, she, she leaned forward and she said, you mean that's Jesus? I said, yeah, it's Jesus. I wish I could tell you she prayed to receive Jesus in that moment. She didn't, but I believe a seed was planted. Here's what I'm saying to you. I'm saying to you that life ought to be a continual series of magnifying Jesus to people who don't know who he is. So be a magnifier. He is in us, and he's pleading with the world to be reconciled to him. And by the way, the work is already done. It was done on the cross of Calvary two, some 2,000 years ago. The work's done. A person just needs to come to a place of humility and faith to say, yes, I surrender to King Jesus. So I want to make a statement, then ask a question, move on to number two. And there's only two, by the way, only two. Now, number two has a list of seven. <laughs> so sharpen your pencil, amen, and make sure your pen's got some ink. We're about to go on this last little race together, okay? Number one, be a magnifier. Here's the statement. How I live my life should make who God is clearer to those around me. My children ought to be able to look to me and say, okay, I'm learning a little, not perfection, but I'm learning a little bit more about who Jesus is by watching Daddy. 
My friends ought to be able to be around me at lunch at different times and places and be able to say, now, now, if I'm watching him, I'm learning a little bit more about Jesus, how he deals with people, how he handles hard situations, how when, when people are able to look at my bank account and see whether I'm giving, remember, oh boy, we got on that again. Last week we talked about tithing, remember? The last word that he said before he went 400 years silent was that if you're not giving, you're not close to me. Remember, y'all do remember that? This is Yes. Oh, man, I see that touches a spot, doesn't it? So uh, as he did that, he walked through that. We, we find out later um, that as it unfolds, we learn what God is like because when we give, we're like him. When we give, by the way, you know the Scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. See the difference? There's that joy again. So as this thing unfolds, how I live my life, my kids ought to be able to look at me. My grandkids ought to be able to look at me. My friends ought to be able to look at me. Uh, the people in your life ought to be able to look at you, the coworkers, your classmates. They ought to be able to look at you and say, Okay, I'm watching this person who says they're a follower of Christ, and I'm learning a little bit more about him every day. All right, number two. Well, first the question. Here's the question attached to the statement. Who does Jesus appear to be by watching me? And maybe you'd write that question down. Who does Jesus appear to be by watching me? Write that somewhere in your notes. and Just wrestle with that a little bit. Like if people watch you, does Jesus appear to be angry? Or... When people watch you, does Jesus appear to be selfish or greedy? Who does he appear to be when people watch you? Uh, we're going to go back to the parking lot illustration. Y'all ready? Huh? Some of y'all know where we're going. So I've been encouraging you lately to think about your mindset. Either it's a humble mindset or a selfish mindset. Remember, y'all with me? Now, I say ours. It's me and you. We talk about coming on the parking lot. When we come on the parking lot, we should pray, right? And our prayer, y'all look at me like, I don't remember anything you're talking about. Hang on, you will. We come on the parking lot, we ought to pray this prayer. Lord, where do you want me to park today? Right? I said we've lost, we've lost the connection to say we ought to go to him for permission for what we do. He's master and savior. But we don't. We fit him in there somewhere, you know. But, but we ought to come on the parking lot and say, Lord Jesus, where do you want me to park today? And instead of, zoop, where's the fastest spot I can get to, man? Hurry to the front before somebody else gets it. We ought to pray, Lord Jesus, where do you want me to park? And most of the time, if you're healthy and you're able to walk around, I found he guides me back to the back, to the back back there. You know why? Because he knows there are people in here that can't get around well. I don't know that. I don't even think about that in my own. But he knows there are people who don't look at the carpet. Y'all, come on. We're just learning. We're not getting beat up. We're just talking about practical life. So we come on the parking lot. First thing we do is, what's our first thought? Come on, we don't have to mumble. We're in this together. How close can I get? How close can I get? And what it ought to be is, when I'm magnifying him, when people are watching me park, they ought to be able to watch me park and say, oh, Jesus is like putting other people first. And I'm praying about something as small in my head. But listen, when you can't walk, you watch Percy come in, into the building. Many of you know Percy, and he had a procedure Friday. We're still praying a miracle of God on those electrodes, and they hadn't got all that hooked up yet, but we're praying a miracle of God is going to settle all those tremors. But if you'll watch Percy, when he parks, he can't make it from his truck all the way in most days, and so he'll latch his arms around Quentin or another brother's neck, and they'll tote him a grown man like a backpack in the room because he can't make it in here on his own. So to me and you who get along good, it's like we just think about closest spot. You know, I'm hot, I'm, I make up, get messed up, I'm sweaty, you know, whatever. But for Percy, it's a different ball game. And there are others in here, hips bothering them, knees giving them fits, back situations. And so when we look like Jesus, we say, I want to think about other, somebody else besides my own self. And I'm going to go sit in the front of the worship center because nobody else wants to sit there and fill in from the front to the back. What if, think about this, what if we filled in from the front of the worship center to the back? We wouldn't have to have all these cedars. You know why we have to have cedars? Selfishness. <laughs> Preacher, I never thought about that. I know, I didn't either. Until I was doing some prayer one time. Selfless says, I'm going to sit in the front. I'm going to sit in the front. I'm going to fill it up to the back. And it makes it easier for people as they come in to just come find a seat. Can you imagine how crazy that would be if a church like literally filled in from the front to the back? It'd be like a rock concert. Where you'll stand in line and pay top dollars. So you can get closer to where the singing's happening. I'm telling you, we're not as selfless as we sometimes feel. So, and I said, we, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about we, me and you. I'm in this with you. So we want to be magnifiers. How does Jesus appear to be by people watching me? Is he pessimistic? Is he always negative? 
Does Jesus appear when people listen to you at work? Do they think, man, Jesus must really hate everything and everybody? What does he appear to be to people who are watching me? Number two, I told you it was just two of them. Number two, first we said be a magnifier. Number two, find joy in God. Find joy in God. Now, I have to just kind of flesh this out a little bit. and Listen to what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God. Listen to how she defines him, my Savior. Now, she could have said, my soul rejoices in God, Jehovah Rapha, my healer, but she didn't do that. Mary could have said, my soul rejoices in Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider, but she didn't do that either. What Mary did moved with this wonderful thought that she was going to magnify God by bringing Jesus down so we could look at what God is like. Uh, her, her thought, her, her overwhelming theme was, uh, my soul uh, rejoices in God, my Savior. And so I want you to think about that. She wants to magnify him as the God who rescues. And I want you to consider this morning what it means to know him as God, our Savior. Now, what she's saying is you've got to find your joy there and not in, okay, not in substances. Now, how many of you can say that in your life, somewhere along the journey, like me, I'll raise my hand first, have looked to find joy, fun, you know, in alcohol or some other substance, maybe even food, all right, how many of you be honest enough in a group this size? Oh, see, see, this is what I mean by ugly honest. We're just honest enough to say this is where I was at one time in my life. Maybe I'm still there now, right? And so we acknowledge that we have looked for joy in things that can't bring joy. And now here's what I tell about alcohol. I said, man, when I would drink, I wouldn't drink all the time. But when I drank, I drank, man. And when I would drink, I'd, I had fun for about two and a half hours and paid for it for, well, some of it I'm still paying for. And so the thing you think that you can manage manages you. And even if I could, I'll, I could give you a biblical case that, that a Christian should not drink strong drink, which is alcohol by volume, I could give you a strong case that if you ever want to do that one-on-one, I'd love to do that. But even if I couldn't, if, even if let's just say that I couldn't, I could argue the other way, that I'm free to do that in Jesus, what I would argue against that with is that my life is supposed to be about others and not myself. And if by me drinking I could cause someone to stumble, and it's very possible, then that alone should be enough. But it's, it's, it's about God, my Savior. So not finding joy in substances, not finding joy in food. How many of you have looked for happiness in your career? And, boy, that worked out well, didn't it? Uh, you worked yourself half to death. May it cost you your family. May it cost you some friends. Cost you some of the best years of your life. And did not bring you the consistent joy you were looking for. And so maybe it was substances. Maybe it was work. How about this? Here's my favorite and most common one. When I talk to a couple right before they get married or maybe right after they've gotten married, not a year after they got married, but early on, I say, tell me about, tell me about you, how you are with your joy. Oh, he's my rock. He's my rock. Them young ladies will look at me. They got stars. I can just see the little stars and hearts floating in the air. And they'll say, he's my rock. And then he'll say, she's my Whole world. She's my whole world. Man, that's what my joy is anchored to. And I'm going to say, you are in a terrible spot. <laughs> and they always look at me the same way, like, this guy's lost his mind. No, you better listen to what I had to say to you. She'll let you down, and he'll let you down. Matter of fact, the person that has let you down the most in your life is you. So then, if our joy is attached to any person, we moved on from the substances or work, but the most common, I believe, is other people. What we're setting ourselves up for is to live in a vein of pessimism and negativity and a lack of joy because they can't sustain it. It's, listen, it doesn't make sense for me to think that Tina or my kids or, or, or any other person can sustain my joy by their performance. It's, it's ridiculous, but I've done it and you've done it. So finding joy in God, she, Mary said, my Savior, okay? So here's the question. We're going to answer seven ways. You ready? Y'all like seven answers to one question? I do. I love seven's the number for completion. By the way, Frank Bland came to me this morning. He said, I was going to find you after, after service and ask you a question based on Isaiah 11 too. He said, I had seven things that were mentioned in that verse, uh, in, 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 in that verse, and I needed you to answer. He said, would you believe the seven statements you gave answered every one of them? He said, as you were reading, I was just checking them off. He was beside himself. He said, look at my name. He caught me out here on the sidewalk. I said, look at this. I said, isn't God good? Isn't he good? 
Why should, here's the question. Why should I find joy in, life, in, in him when life has a tendency to be very hard? Now, how many of you believe that life can be hard? Anybody have a hard time this week? Anybody? How about the last year of your life? Somewhere in the last year you had a hard time. All right, let's go over the whole scope of your life. You've had a hard season somewhere in the journey? Yeah. And so why, the question beckons, why should I have joy in him when life can be so difficult here? Okay, here's seven answers to that question. <laughs> Number one, God has regarded my lowly estate. So write it down in verse number 48. That young lady at Starbucks said, you mean you don't have any bad days? I said, I have zero bad days. I have hard days. I have hard days. There are hard things that I face just like you. But I don't have bad days. You know why? Because God has regarded my lowly estate. What does it mean to regard? It means to put some value on. You say, wait a minute now. You mean God values or assigns value to the fact that I am lowly and weak and, and, and simple? No, no. It means that he's assigned value to the fact that you and I need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. And he cared. And you and I weren't looking for him. He came looking for us. And we couldn't, we couldn't pay our way out. And he, bought, he, came, he bought our way. So, so here's what I want you to see. He has regarded my lowly estate. Listen to what Mary says. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. She, basically, here's what she's saying. I'm a nobody. I'm, an, I'm a nobody. And yet God would look down on me with favor. I'm a nobody. You know what I think? Every morning when I get up and look at myself in the mirror, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody from nowhere. I tell people sometimes when I'm speaking at different places, I say, where are you from? I say, Byram. They say, what? Byram. What state is that? Mississippi. Oh, oh. A nobody from nowhere that God has shown great favor and rescue to. That's me. I can't say for you, but I'm talking about for me. I can say for Mary. Mary said, I was nobody. And God would rescue me. Now, I'm going to give you some verses to go along. You know I was going to give you some little verses to help you, right? Psalm 40 Verses 1 through 3, write them in your notes. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. This can apply to an individual life. It can apply to a marriage. It can apply to a business. It can apply to anything you and I turn over to him. Here's what it looks like. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. He has regarded my lowly estate. How do I know he's regarded? He did something about it. Here's what it says. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. And as I cried out to him, the scripture says, and he inclined to me. He didn't recline away from me like a recliner does. He inclined to me, leaned his ear toward me, and he heard my Y'all come on, y'all stay with me. And he heard my cry. Now listen, every great rescue of God starts with a humble cry for help. He said, I cried out, God heard me. And he, here's what God did. He regarded my lowly. He didn't look down there and say, now listen, how many of y'all know in the South, you can say bless your heart a lot of different ways? Huh? Sometimes you see somebody doing something just absolutely ignorant. And you say, bless their heart, you know. Or maybe they've done something to harm you and make you mad instead of cussing them or, you know, put, punching them in the throat. You say, bless your heart. And that's your escape route. You just have to move to something else, right? But there are some times when you, usually in dealing as a father or mother with a child, you say, bless their heart. You know, they're only five. They don't, they don't know any better, you know. And there's a different kind of connection there. And that is what God, in fact, says about me and you. Bless their hearts. Not bless their hearts. The Scripture says, you say, how can you prove that? The psalmist says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities us. Not pity like you pitiful thing, but pity like you only are a human. And you're in a pit. And you're in miry clay. And you can't help yourself. And you can't get out on your own. And God looks down and sees us. And by the way, we deserve to be there because most of the time we took ourselves there. And I'm just telling you about my own life. Man, I ran to the pit and jumped down in it. And that God would still regard my lowly estate in spite of the fact that I intentionally took myself there. And when I cried out for help, you know what he did? That long arm of God reached down in that pit and that miry clay and pulled me out, put my feet on the solid rock, the rock Christ Jesus. He put a new song in my heart, established my steps. I now walk a solid path. Now, sometimes I veer right and left, but he'll meet me there and correct me, bring me back in as a loving father does his son. But what I want to say to you is the reason I have joy today, the reason I have joy when I told that lady at Starbucks that Jesus was her answer was because he's regarded my lowly estate. And I want to say to you, if you've been born again, he's, he's regarded your lowly estate. And if you've not been born again, here's what you need to know. Right now, he regards your lowly estate. He sees you in that pit, that miry clay. And he does not love the fact that you're struggling and groping in darkness. He's not pleased by the fact you have an empty feeling you're trying to fill in. I don't understand it, people. Listen to me. But he loves you and desires you and wants you to experience the fullness of knowing him. 
He wants to set you free. He can so easily, listen, he can so easily reach with his mighty right hand and reach down into the pit of your marriage and your despair and your life and your lost condition, and he can pull you out of that addiction, and he can set your feet on the solid rock called Christ Jesus. Only he can. I'm trying to move on. That was number one. God has regarded our lowly estate. Number two, there's going to be three things to it, but it's only one, so it only counts as one, all right? He is, all right, number two. We said, why should I find joy? Why should I call him God my Savior? Because he's regarded our lowly estate, and he did something about it. He sent Jesus. Secondly, he's mighty, he's holy, and he's done great things for me. Anybody still with me in the room? He's mighty, he's holy, he's done great things for me. Where did I find it? I found it in verse number 49. Mary goes on to say, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, holy means set apart. It means other. It means above excellent. It means off the charts in good and righteousness and different. God is in the category all by himself. It's called holy. Matter of fact, not only is he called holy, but the, but the angels are singing to him right now while we're gathered here in worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So he's holy, set apart. He's different. But he's also mighty. So what I mean by that is, there, listen to this. I hope you all lean in. That means there's no pit he can't reach down into and pull you out of. He's mighty. There's no addiction he can't break. There's no chain he can't, he can't destroy. There's no yoke of bondage he can't burst and set free. He's mighty to save. Hey, if he can save me, he can save anybody. And he says, she said he's mighty and he's holy. But then, but then she said this, and she combined those things together. He's holy and mighty. He's done great things for me. So he did great thing for all of us in that he sent his son Jesus that whosoever would believe on him and put their hope and trust in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's what he did for all of us. But individually in my life, he's done great things for me. Can anybody else relate to that this morning? Has anybody in this room experienced the power of God individually in your life where he's done something good for you you didn't deserve? Look around you, would you? Just around you, left, front, and back, and all. Everybody's hands are up. Here's why. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he's good. He's good. It's why I should have joy. It's when I wake up and, and maybe the stock market's not where it should be or your retirement is awesome or your business isn't doing like it should or you got a couple of little wrinkles in your marriage or you're single and you just really want to be married or you fill in the blank. It's why I still can have joy because he's mighty to save. So we said he regarded our little, he said he's mighty, holy, and he's done great things. Number three, quickly, verse number 50, he's merciful. Now you may not know this, but you need his mercy right now in this moment as much as you did the day you were born again. The mercy of God. What is it? Grace versus mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace then, let's just use a big example, would be heaven. I don't deserve to go into heaven with the presence of God. That's by grace, okay? But what is the mercy side of things? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. What do I deserve? I deserve hell. You see the comparison there in eternity? Grace is getting heaven. Mercy is missing hell. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. What I told that lady at Starbucks is, I said, I'll never taste one ounce of his wrath. Jesus drank the whole cup. He drank the whole cup. And I said, so how could I ever let the circumstances of my day cause me to be mad, mean, and complaining, and pessimistic? And How could I ever do that when, when what he's done for me has settled the issue I couldn't settle? And I'm forgiven, and I should have to experience. And by the way, the scripture says this, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And I'll never have to worry about that. Thanks to Jesus. Why, why is this a joyful mission? Are you kidding me? Life is hard. Sure, we're broken people in a broken world. But I'm telling you right now, he's merciful. How many of you in this room are glad that his mercy is new every morning? The well of his mercy will never run dry. And I need it every day, every moment of every hour. Let me move on. He's merciful. Number four, see how quick you're listening? His power is accomplished by his plan. Meaning what? Verse 51, he's shown strength. He said he was going to and then he did it. He's shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. They thought they had a way that they wanted God to do his thing. We want a leader. We want a military leader that's going to deliver, right, deliver us from the Roman oppression. God said, I got a bigger plan. And so his power accomplished his plan. But let me move forward, all right? That was number four. Listen how quick y'all are listening. Number five, he humbles the exalted and exalts the humble. In the kingdom of God, those who are last become first. In the kingdom of God, those who exalt themselves end up being humbled and last, and those who humble themselves end up being exalted 
and first. It's an amazing, amazing kingdom. Let me read if I can. This is found in verse number 52. Y'all there with me? In 51, verse 52. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He's put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. You think about it. Exalted the lowly. We go back and we look at the testimony of men and women that God has used you think about a man by the name of Moses who had committed murder and was hiding on the backside of the desert. If you and I were to rank his life up to this point, we'd say he's a less than. We'd say that he's a coward. We'd say that he's a murderer and he ran away and he's hiding and no longer does he have any hope to deliver his people except God met him there and lived and empowered him and he did great and mighty things. I'm telling you, he humbles the exalted, but he exalts the humble. And so I want you to think about that as the testimony of salvation person that's high and lofty and says, well, I'm not that bad a person. I'm a pretty good deal. Maybe there's a man in the room and he's looking at his wife and he says, this is her church. And in his mind, and you say, how do you know these kind of scenarios? Because they're so common. You think you're different? You're not different. And as I've seen that story unfold so many times, he says, well, there's not that much wrong. I'm a pretty good dude. You know, I keep the lights on and shouldn't that count for something? I'm a pretty good man. And yet his wife is in love with Jesus and she's following after him and he'll get drug up in here and he's got this look on his face. You know, he really don't want to be here. And it's because the pride of our life thinks that we're pretty good and we're okay. And that person, if they'd never turn to Jesus, they'll be humbled in the end. When they hear the master say, depart from me, I never knew you. I pursued you, I paid for you. I even gave you a wife who loved you enough to try to bring you to me, a husband that tried to bring you to me, a friend that tried to bring you to me. Y'all with me? There's just a lot of scenarios that fit. But you said no. And so you exalted your opinion, and now you're going to be humbled for all eternity. But he who humbles himself that says, you know what? I'm, I'm in desperate need of a Savior. I'm not good in and of myself. I can't, not worthy to be the king of my life, and I can't be right with God unless Jesus did it for me. He who humbles himself there is exalted to be a child of the king. That's oh, a beautiful, beautiful gospel. He humbles the exalted and exalts the humble. Number six, he supplies needs. You see it in verse 53? He has helped his servant Israel. Uh, excuse me, verse 53. And he has filled the hungry with good things. Some of you may be saying to yourself, yeah, but I mean, I was hungry one time. I didn't have enough groceries. And, but I say to you that you're still here. And somehow he sustains you. And somehow he's put food in your table and then, Bigger picture than that, Jesus said about himself, there's a word for Jesus that he described as the bread from heaven. And I want you to think about the picture here, the hungry soul, the thirsty soul. The hungry soul needs the bread from heaven. The thirsty soul needs the fountain of living water. Both of those are the Lord Jesus Christ. He meets the needs. And then finally, can you imagine we're there? Number seven, number for completion. We answered one question. Why should I find joy in him when life can be so hard? Mary said, I find joy in God my Savior because he's regarded our lowly estate. He's mighty holy. He's given great things in our lives. He's merciful, and his mercy is new every morning. His power is going to accomplish his plan. He humbles the exalted, exalts the humble, and he supplies the needs of his people. And finally, he's a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. Can I tell you how glad I am that he can never break his word? When I woke up this morning, I said, I'm still saved this morning. You know how I know? He promised. You say, well, preacher, did you feel saved when you got up? Not at first. Huh? Y'all looking at me like y'all felt saved right when you got up. The first thing you did this morning. Some of y'all probably did, but I didn't right away this morning. I was a little bit tired. And yet, what I know to be true is not my feelings. My feelings are fickle. They've, they've taken me up mountains and down in valleys, and my feelings have led me all over the place, and they're fickle, but what I know is his promises are true. He's a promise keeper. Listen to what she says about this in verse 54. And 55, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now, what does she mean? She's saying that God promised back there that he was going to show them mercy. He promised way back there. Covenants with Abraham. And a long time ago, he said, all the nations are going to be blessed through you. And God remembered his mercy. And here's what he says. She says, in, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his, oh, listen, to his seed forever. God promised all the way back. Now, I'm going to go a little above Abraham, that okay? To the first set of parents. Does anybody know who the first two people on earth were? I love the fact that science in the last 10 years, after years of research and data and DNA samples and search, has declared amazingly that there's one set of parents for all the human race. Isn't that crazy? Because science is so bright. Took them a long time to get there. We already knew. We read it in the first couple of pages. Right? Uh, so we find out that every, and by the way, 
Uh, there are not two human races. There's one human race. We find as we look at creation's account, the study of mankind and DNA, we find that what, what our bodies are are shades of brown. There's no such thing as a black person or a white person. Melanin in its, in its content is brown, shades of brown. Some of us are light, light, light brown. Some of us are dark, dark, dark brown. And there's all kinds of shades in between. But there's one set of parents. Can I say that to you again? There's one set of parents. One set of parents. And it goes back to Adam and Eve. Now, what are you, what's the point of all this? When they sinned and were separated from God, remember, eat of all of this, all of this, all this, don't eat of this, they eat of that, because we think we know better. They were separated from God. And God in chapter 3 gives out the punishments, remember? To the serpent, he said, you shall crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Remember? And I will put enmity, he said, between your seed and her seed. The serpent's seed, children of the devil, and her seed. Your seed and her seed. Her seed is singular and capitalized. Isn't that beautiful? You know why? Because it represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he personifies the seed when he says this. God does. I love it. So beautiful. You've never seen this gospel presentation from the very curse of, of, of the fall of man. God says, he is going to bruise your heel. The seed of the serpent is going to bruise the seed of the woman's heel. Now, what is the bruising of the heel? It hurts. You ever had, you ever had a bruise on your heel? It's a bad deal. You've got to walk on that thing, but it's not life-threatening. What is, what, is, what is God referencing when he says he's going to bruise your heel? It is the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, somebody sitting in their chair is thinking, good Lord, if you relate that to a bruising of the heel, whew, you must not have watched the Passion of the Christ because that's a horrible thing. Yeah, but let me tell you something. It lasted three days, and he rose again. And that one event changed eternity for whosoever will call on his name. You with me? That's a little bruise on the heel. But he said to the serpent, to the, to the devil, that the seed of the woman, capital S, Jesus, is going to crush your head. Now, let me ask you something. If you had to choose today, would you rather us bruise your heel or crush your head? I'll tell you, you'd rather have your heel bruised because you can get over that. If we crush your head, it's over. Game over. You're done. So God, in fact, was saying in the very curse of man, he said, to, he said to Satan, there's coming a time in the future where you're going to bruise his heel, but what's going to really be happening, he's going to be crushing your head. And that's the promise of God we see fulfilled in what we're going to be celebrating the next few weeks. And we celebrate, really, the reason we meet on Sunday is because we, we, we celebrate the resurrection every single Sunday of our lives. So this morning, I want to remind you, wherever you are, that he is a promise keeper. What he made thousands of years before he saw it come to pass. And what he has promised you will come to pass. Now, it may be that if today I could say, listen, y'all, let's just skip lunch, and I want to talk through the promises of God. Probably five of y'all stay. He said, preach, that sounds good, but we'll be back. You write it down, put it on Facebook, we'll follow it. We'll get it later. The promises of God. We could stay through. We'd talk all the way through the evening. We'd stay up all night just talk about the promises of God from the Scripture. I could go all night. We could stay, you'd have to call in and miss work tomorrow, and some of y'all would be like, I could do that. And we'd talk through the promises of God all day tomorrow, and we still would not cover all of the promises of God. Some already fulfilled, some being fulfilled, and some yet to be fulfilled. But how that applies to you today is simply this. Whatever he says, he does. And today, if you will allow him, he'll transform your life. And you can either be born again if you need to be born again, or you can be charged by the Holy Ghost of God that you'll leave out of here and you'll live the mission with joy. So here's what I'm going to do. I invite you to bow with me for just a moment. Will you do that? I can see it already. Some of y'all are going to go to work and you'll say, you don't believe what our preacher did. He preached a Christmas message. When Mary was overwhelmed by the promise of the her having birth, giving birth to the Messiah. But I pray more than anything you'd hear her joy this morning. So full of joy. By the way, the thing that she had joy about hadn't even happened yet. I mean, don't get me wrong. She's pregnant at this time, but, but Jesus hadn't come yet. I mean, he's not, he's not outside the womb yet. He's not teaching yet. He's not giving the words of life yet. He's not dying yet. He's not resurrected yet. You with me? She's, she's full of this joy, living this mission based on the promise of God. What is it this morning you need to believe God for again? He promised it, and he's a promise keeper.
Now, maybe you're here today and you've never truly invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Here's the good news. It's not too late. Today, if you wouldn't harden your heart, but instead you'd hear the voice of God as He calls you, He does it by name. It's terribly uncomfortable. And somebody here today is calling your name and He's talking to you right now. He's been talking to you the whole service. What he's been saying to you is, I don't want you to be living in that pit anymore. I'm not happy with the fact that you're struggling. I don't want you to walk in darkness. I don't want you to be unfulfilled. I don't want you to chase joy and all that stuff. I want you. You're valuable to me. That's what God's saying. And today you can come to him, but only by way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't come any other way. None of us can. You'll have to believe that Jesus died for you on the cross and that he rose from the dead. You'll have to really believe it. You'll have to believe it in such a way that you're willing to say, here's my life. I give it to you. Come and live inside me and guide me and direct me. And here's, a, here's a humble prayer. Give me joy. Somebody here today, you've never felt the joy of Jesus, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that the best you have is some little happy moments, but you don't have that sustaining joy of Jesus Christ that he offers. And so I beg you today, come to Jesus. You can do it right there in your chair. Do you know that? You don't have to come hold my hand or hug my neck or walk down an aisle. You can invite Jesus to be Lord. Riding down the road there at the captain station on that offshore oil rig, uh, at the nurse's desk, wherever you find yourself today, you can invite Jesus to come and be Lord of your life. You can. We had somebody last week saved online on, during our online message. You could be born again right now. The only obstacle will be you. Next, I believe there's some in the room who have certainly been born again. You know for certain. You can remember a time when you gave it all to Jesus and you've seen a change since then. But your joy has not been where it should be. You've been a little bit pessimistic. You've been a little bit angry, a little bit bitter. You're just not really enjoying life very much. And God is saying to you today, come back close. I want to remind you why you should have joy. So I want to ask a question by a show of hands. If you're here today and your joy's not been where it should be, you've been doing a little complaining, you've been, I see hands already coming up all over the place, you just, you know, you've just been a little distracted by something's been hard, something's been difficult, something's been kind of hard, something's been confusing, something didn't work out the way you thought it should. And so because of that, your joy's been rocked a little bit, you know, the enemy's sort of stolen some of it, if you will. If that's you, would you hold your hand straight up in the air because I'm going to pray for you. Wow, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Lord Jesus, you know the hearts of all of these, the hundreds and hundreds of hands that just raised up in this place. God, I pray in Jesus' name you'd remind them of the joy of their salvation. And you'd fill them to overflow with your Holy Spirit and the promises that you've made to them and that you've already shown them that God would fuel their fire this week. Now I want to ask this question. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to be Lord, and I'm not going to have you to come down front. You can do that if you want to. It's a matter of fact, too big a room and too dimly lit right now for me to even be able to come and point you out. But I just want to know this by show of hands. If you're here today and that's not been settled for you, it's something that you're kind of praying through, maybe God's been leaning with you about, or you know for certain that you're not. If you fit into any of those categories, my question for you now is would you slip your hand up so I could pray for you? I see you there. I see you right there. God bless you. Just raise your hand. There you go, right there and right there. I see you, and God bless you. Any others, just slip your hand up and right back down. Lord Jesus, I thank you now that you're dealing with hearts because that's who you are. And I pray you'd make it crystal clear what every person needs to do. Lord, I pray not one soul would leave this place lost and separated from you. Jesus Christ made the way. Now grant them faith and repentance to come to him and put their whole trust in him. And God, I pray you'd be glorified in it all. So just a minute, we're going to stand to our feet and lift our voices in song. I want to say that the altar is open. Now, you may not have ever come to an altar before, and it's just this place right down front. And you can kneel down on your knees. It's a carpeted floor. You can kneel down there, and it's open. You can just come as you feel led. You just come and kneel down. You can put your hands up on the platform and the elbows there. It's a nice, comfortable spot to pray. And you can just, maybe somebody's on your heart. You need to come pray for them. Maybe there's a situation going on. Maybe you want to bring that unjoyful spirit that you've had to the altar and leave it there. That bitter spirit and leave it there. That ungrateful spirit and leave it there. Maybe you want to bring that. Now, not if it's in somebody else. I'm talking about you. I want to invite you to come. Matter of fact, could we stand to our feet so the people could make their way out? 
with heads bowed and eyes closed. People come just from all over. Just come on, make your way down to the altar and just spend some time there. Maybe you'd pray for lost souls in the room. Several hands went up. Maybe you'd pray that people would surrender their life to Jesus today. God's children should joyfully make him known. We ought to leave out of here with joy in our hearts and on our, on our tongues and on our faces. And we ought to just go tell people about Jesus with joy. They ought to, it ought to be believable because he is who he says he is. So, Lord Jesus, take this time we have. And, Father, move and save and restore and do what only you can do. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.